so in a minute, Leanne's going to come and speak. Before that, Elaine is going to do the reading for this morning. Thanks, Elaine. The reading is from the Book of Numbers. They traveled from Mouth Hor along the route of the, to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They beat the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So, yes, so today's um, reading was from Numbers 21. That was verse uh, 4 to 8. And I've actually titled the, the message, Are You Saved? Which I think sounds really um, uh, provocative, but actually it was just a question that I had for myself for a really long time. And I thought I could start with that and I would take you through the journey that I went on when I had that question for myself. So... When I came to Christ, I, um, I had an experience that was very much heartfelt, but wasn't so much um, intellectual. I didn't really understand what I was feeling or what I understood to be being saved. And I did all the things that you do. So I, I connected with people who could help me grow in the faith. I joined a small group that had a Bible study and we would study the Bible together. And that was really encouraging for me. But um, it was really hard actually to study the Bible without any understanding of how to actually interpret scripture. And what I would find myself doing is trying to come to conclusions of my own from reading scripture with people who were actually quite well-versed in the scripture. And that often ended up with me coming to different conclusions to them. So it would be things like, oh, we've read a, we've read a verse and it's me trying to understand what was meant by that. And actually my lens was the only experience I had, which was um, English literature. And I don't know if you guys kind of remember what it was like trying to study English literature. It was very much, okay, the woman walked in and she was wearing a red dress. And then the question is, okay, so what do you think the author meant when he said that she was wearing a red dress? And I was always like, well, it means that the dress was red. I, I don't know. I don't know what you want, but that's what I understand from she was wearing a red dress. And I actually really hated that because I just wanted to understand what the message of, of that script, of that text was. And so I took that kind of same approach when I was reading scripture, and it often ended up being the case that I was interpreting things wrong. And my more learned friends would tell me, well, you know, actually, if you go to this part of the Bible, you'll see that it interprets this part of the Bible. And this was really new to me, and I was very kind of um, excited by the idea that there was a reference in the book that I was reading that would help me interpret scripture. And so whenever we would come to parts of the Bible that would describe people that were saved or people that um, were written in the book of life, um, I would often ask the question, so what does that mean? And my friends who were well-versed in the Bible would say, you know, it's the people that are written in the book of life, the people who are going to go to heaven. And we pray that we are written in the book of life. And that worried me because it made me feel like 
I wouldn't know if I was written in the book of life until I got to the day of judgment. It made me feel like I actually don't know if I'm saved, and I kind of worried that I don't know what it means to be saved. So I ended up going on a quest for myself because I realized I needed to come to a conclusion of clarity through my own understanding. So through that, I started to ask myself what I was sure of and what I was able to conclude for sure, what my basic truths were and work my way from there. So today I'm just going to start with some of those very basic truths that I came to, and they are very, very basic, but um, we have to start somewhere. So the first thing that I was able to conclude as a new Christian who had just come to, um, come to Christ, whatever that meant to me at the time, was, okay, I believe that the universe was created by a creator. When I read the Bible, I saw that that was described to us in a way where we could understand, okay, this was what happened at the start of creation, and I read about how we were created in the image of that creator as well. So I thought, okay, this is quite easy for me to comprehend. There is creation, therefore there is a creator. Okay, I'm happy with that. And then I moved on to, okay, what does that mean for me? So when I understood that there was a creator who created the universe, and I am one of those creations that lives in the universe, I really realized, okay, if, if, if I can find any um, similarities in myself or as a human being a creator or being creative, then I can also conclude that um, we often create things and then have a specific idea of how we want those things to be engaged with. So, for example, we create things like a family or we create things like a home. And when we have a home that we've created and a space that is ours and people come into that home, we expect them to engage with our space and with our home in the same way that we do. And that means if we have house rules, for example, take your shoes off when you come into my house, and someone comes in and doesn't want to do that, and then they actually come in with muddy boots and put their boots on your coffee table, it grieves you because that's not what you designed your house to be used as. And similarly, I then realize, okay, well then that means if there is a creator who created the universe, then that creator also gets to decide how we live in the universe. And I thought, okay, that's logical, that's rational, because the creator makes the rules and we live in that creator's universe, so we have rules that we're supposed to follow. So that makes sense. And even though a lot of the things that we are told in the Bible are rules, if you like, or things that we should or shouldn't do, in light of that, it made me realize, okay, so when we talk about sin, it's essentially all the stuff that God doesn't want us to do. And I think that was really helpful for me because there are things that we read about that we, we kind of grapple with. We try and understand whether it's sin, whether it's not sin, whether we can do it, whether we can't do it. And if I thought about it like this, it's just all the stuff God doesn't want us to do, it made it a lot easier for me to, to understand. And it was a tough one because even though, you know, as humans we have our nature, there are things that we do naturally and there are things that we don't think are that bad, it still means that if we are doing things that we are told not to do, then we are sinning and that makes us sinners. And we are all sinners because we all do those things regardless of if we think they're bad or not. If we're told in the Bible this is something we are not supposed to do and we do it, that makes us sinners. And again, this sounds really basic and really simple, but actually coming to a conclusion of being a sinner is a hard one in this world because we don't want to think of ourselves as bad people. 
And when we read the Bible, as the third basic truth says, we understand that breaking those rules equals, or sin equals death. The Bible says that the wages or the consequences of sin is death, and that is spiritual death. That is um, eternity separated from God. Um, And essentially, we are all rebelling against that God, and therefore, we are experiencing what it means to know that spiritual death is the end result. And that is what the Bible tells us. And essentially what that means is that all of us, every single one of us, Christian or non-Christian, believer or unbeliever, does deserve hell. We don't deserve heaven because heaven is where God lives and God is perfect and he is righteous and he's holy. And we read the Bible and the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. So essentially, the conclusion we have to come to is that, okay, well then, we deserve spiritual death. We deserve hell. We don't deserve heaven because we have sinned. And I'm hammering on that because it's quite a hard pill to swallow. Essentially, we are confronted with our fate in what our human nature tells us. And I think in this society that we live in, I don't know if it's unique to the time we live in or if it's always been the case, but we like to think of ourselves as good people. And society tells us what good is and what bad is, and if we are doing the things that society tells us is good, then we feel like we are good people. And I have heard this kind of narrative play out where a lot of people will say, well, I'm not a bad person because compared to other people, I'm not that bad. And therefore, you know, God is not going to care that I stole some money or that I lied because there's people out there that are worse. There are people who do way worse things than me. And so God will know that I'm a good person when I get to the gates and he will let me in. And so I'm fine with that. And the problem with that logic is that that doesn't actually play out in our own society. We don't see that rationale play out in reality of where we live. If we take an example of that and we say, okay, well, if we were to go to court, being accused of something that we are actually guilty of, and we said to the judge, okay, judge, look, I know I stole that money, I am guilty, but that guy over there killed someone. That person's a murderer, I'm just a thief, he's worse, So let me go free. I don't think that a judge would let you go free on the basis that somebody else did something worse than you. They would probably agree that it's something worse. But your punishment is still due. Even though that person's worse doesn't mean that what you have done is any better. It just means that there are degrees of punishment available. So if we use that logic to say that God, who is a just got a judge would then say, okay, well, you're right, actually, that person's worse, I'll forget about you, and you're free to go. That wouldn't happen. And we know that to be true in our own society. We know that judgment is due, regardless of if there is different degrees of penalty. So that analogy doesn't work, even including the fact that our standard is the law. So if we live in a government that says it is against the law to steal and you steal, it doesn't mean that because you didn't murder 
that you haven't broken the law. We know that punishment is still due. Another thing that people like to lean on, and actually a lot of religions teach, is that, um, well, I may have done some bad things, but I've done more good things than bad things in my life. And I believe that God judges my entire life. And if we look at my entire life, then actually I've done more good things than bad, and that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. This is actually something that some religions teach, but I would then go back to the same analogy and see if that would actually solve the problem if we were in court in front of a just judge. If we said to a judge, okay, judge, um, yes, I am that murderer that was pointed at, I did do that, but yesterday I was at a restaurant and somebody was choking and I performed the Heimlich maneuver and I saved their life and then on the way here I helped an old lady cross the street and that's two good deeds, so let me go free. That is what we're saying when we say good deeds can outweigh bad deeds because a judge would still say, that's great, well done for saving a life and helping someone cross safely, but you still committed a crime and you still deserve a punishment. And there is not anything that that person can actually do to make it true that they don't deserve punishment. And one broken law, just one, is enough to be punished. And our government dictates that, and we as a society hope for a judge that is handing down justice that would punish those who have done wrong. We would hate to live in a society where a judge fell for a soppy story and didn't punish people who did things like crime. We would hate to live in a society like that. We want to see justice served. We also know, as I said, that the standard is the law in our society. Well, it's the same with God. The standard is perfection. The standard is God's achievement, which is perfection. He is holy and he is perfect. So if we fall short of that, then there is nothing that we can do to make that untrue. And that's actually the hardest part of it. The hardest pill to swallow is there's nothing that we can actually do about it. And so when I went on this journey of looking at those things and coming to the conclusion that, okay, I am a sinner, and so is every other person on this planet, and there's nothing I can do to make that not true, I kind of lost it, because I'm like, what can be done? Where does that leave me? So I've been doing all this stuff, Bible studies and learning how to pray and doing all this stuff. And then I come to the conclusion, oh wait, actually, I don't actually deserve to go to heaven because I can't get rid of all the bad stuff that I've done. And so I just have to stay in this place of hoping that somehow I receive forgiveness when I get to heaven, I was very confused. And then I realized that there is one way and there is something that in this court analogy and in reality that we need. We, we need someone who's willing to take that punishment. If you are a criminal at, at court and you have been handed down a guilty sentence and 
the fine is a million pounds, let's just say. We know that's not how justice works in this country, but let's say the fine is a million pounds. If someone showed up and said, you know what, I'm actually going to pay that whole fine, a judge would say, okay, that fine has been paid, the debt is cleared, you are free to go. That's the, actually the only way someone who is guilty of something can be let go, set free. And it is actually exactly what we need in the scenario that we are in, in reality. We need someone who's willing to take our hell punishment, someone who would be willing to do that for us. And I think that's a huge concept because what is our sin to us? It's individual to each person, but then there's all the people who have ever existed in the world. And that level of sin is like way more than a million pounds. That is the heaviest thing that you could ask someone to do. Well, in the same way, when we look at who is willing to do that for us, we then realize that that is why Jesus died on the cross. And to be honest, it took me a really long time to come to that conclusion as someone who was calling myself a Christian. I was living in a way where I had completely disregarded the fact that the weight of sin had been paid by someone who loved me and loved everybody else so much so that they were willing to pay a debt that was so heavy by dying with that sin on the cross. And that's what Jesus did. And if you don't take anything from the message today, take that. Jesus died on the cross with your sin and my sin so that we could be set free, so that we could walk away with no punishment, so that we could take what we were due, which was hell, and walk in the other direction, which is heaven. And the reason why that is so significant is because I was living through life thinking that the things I was doing would be the reason that I would go to heaven. But when I realized that what Jesus did when he died on the cross was for, I realized that being set free means that you get to walk in that freedom. I realized that if Jesus took 100% of the punishment that I deserve, then how much is left for me? If Jesus takes 100% of your punishment, you are left with zero. You are left with nothing due. You are left free to go. You are left off the hook. And that gives you what we call salvation. That's what we mean when we say you are saved. So when I asked the question, am I saved? I thought, okay, well then the question isn't if I'm saved. The question is, do I believe that Jesus not only died on the cross, but he died on the cross with my sin, past, present, future, and took my hell punishment so that I could live free. Do I believe that, that he did it for me? Do I believe that he did it and he would do it even if I was the only person that lived on this whole planet? Would he still love me enough to do that? Or was it just because there were so many of us? And when I realized that the answer is yes, I believe that, it changed my life. And when you come to the conclusion that Jesus died for you, it has to change your life. You can't live the same way. You can't expect 
to get such news that you are actually free from the punishment that you deserve and live the same way. And it's free to us because it's a free gift from God. And that means that when someone gives you a gift, you don't then hand them something afterwards and say, oh, thank you so much for this gift. Here's the money that it costs you to pay for the gift back. You receive the gift and you open the gift and you use the gift. And Christian life is not just, oh, okay, that was great. Anyway, I'm going to carry on and just think about that sometimes and just come and think about it when I come to church on a Sunday or when it's a special occasion. It's a gift that you actually receive and open the box and use the gift. And that's pretty special. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I've heard people say, okay, that's great, and that's great for you, but I actually just want to die and then sleep. I don't want eternal life. I don't want to keep doing this for eternity. I actually just want to die and, and sleep. Like, I don't want anything to be after. And I've heard people say, well, just like when a criminal is caught by the police, they want to be taken to Disneyland. It's just not what's going to happen. You can want that as much as you want. You can say, oh, actually, I just want to sleep and I just don't want anything to do with it. Doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Doesn't mean that you won't be taken somewhere. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist because you closed your eyes to it. It doesn't mean that you can continue pretending it's not happening. The reality of the situation is that we are all in the same boat and what we need is to know that someone has already paid that debt for us. In 2011, I don't know if, if it's a rememberable thing for everybody, but in 2011 there was some riots that took place in London. And it was as a result of somebody who was killed by the police and people were in, in, in a lot of um, uproar about it. And so different parts of London had um, looting and rioting and there was lots of fire and there was lots of things happening. And my brother and his wife, they lived in Peckham at the time, and they lived in a flat that was above, like a, on a high street above a shop. And they were newly married at the time. My sister-in-law was actually German, so she had just moved to London, so she was very confused. She was like, is this normal? Like, what, is this how London is? And we had to tell her, no, this is actually not what usually happens. But there were people on their street, on their high street, rioting and looting and being violent and breaking into stores and setting stores on fire. Grade one listed buildings, lots of uproar about that. And actually what happened was, the flat that they lived in was above a shop which was set on fire. And they were peering out of the window, watching this mob of people, this angry mob, break into this shop, loop the place, and then everyone went quiet. And they said that when they were looking down into the shop, they weren't really sure, like, why has everyone suddenly gone quiet? Like, what's happening down there? And the mob kind of stepped back, and they looked up, and they saw my brother and his wife out the window, and they were like, get out, we've set the place on fire. And they're like, what? And they had to flee, and luckily, they, they were able to escape before the fire actually burned too badly. But essentially, those people who were 
on the ground realized they'd made a bad mistake. They'd actually set a building on fire with people in it, and they were able to escape. But I want to take us through that analogy for a second. Death by analogies, okay. So if you were in that building, and let's just say we live in a flat above some shops and there's a high street, and we're sat at our window, and there's no rioting, there's no, there's no harm or danger about, but we're just sat at home, and we're looking out the window, and we're just gazing across, and we're admiring the town, and we're happy, and we're peaceful, and we see people passing by, and we see people doing shopping, we see service people, we see policemen, and we have paramedics, and firemen, and children, and all these things, and we think, wow, life is good. And then, all of a sudden, Someone looks up and shouts to get your attention, and they say, hey, your house is on fire. Get out now. Suddenly, you are going to be going through this very grave realization that your house is on fire. You didn't know, you didn't smell anything, you didn't see anything, there's no smoke, but actually, the whole bottom floor is ablaze, and there is absolutely no way out. You are trapped in a burning building, and you didn't even know it, and somebody passing by shouted to get your attention. Luckily, your window was open, so you heard them, and now you are faced with the reality that you are trapped in a burning building, and there's nothing you can do. I think suddenly one person would stand out to me, and that's the fire person, the firefighter that we just saw, or we just imagined, um, that was walking by. All of a sudden, somebody who was just passing by that you never thought about, that had no impact on your life, is your one chance, your one chance of getting out of a burning building alive. And all you can think to do is get the attention of that firefighter so that they can come and save you. And the reason I give that analogy is because sometimes it's hard for people to come to the realization that they are in a, building, a burning building. Sometimes it's hard to get people to accept the reality that the building is burning before they can look to a firefighter. Because if someone was sat in a build, burning building and then someone stopped them and said, hey, your house is on fire, get out as fast as you can, and then they went, okay, well, you can believe what you want. You can have your beliefs about the fact that my house is on fire, but I'm going to close my blinds and I'm going to ignore you because I don't believe that my house is on fire. I don't believe that. That's great for you. It's great that you have a belief. It's great that you live your life in a certain way, but keep it to yourself, okay? I don't need you to tell me my house is on fire. I'm fine. If that was the case, what would be the result? Like, in reality, if someone was just didn't want to accept the fact that their house was on fire, what would happen? They would perish. They would perish never knowing why. And they would never actually look for help because they didn't even know that their house was on fire. And this is the analogy of life. We are in a burning building, and a firefighter comes in and risks his life and brings you out. And salvation in Jesus is like that. There is one, only one way. And Jesus says, I am the way, not a way. 
He didn't say, jump out the window and save your life. He said, I am the way. And people don't want that help because they don't know that their house is on fire. I just want to share three things um, that are a consequence of coming to that realization. Three things that are a consequence of believing that to be true. Um, one thing is that Jesus says that he will be with us. Ephesians 1, 4-6 tells us about how we receive adoption into sonship. And that language made no sense to me when I was trying to read scripture because I didn't understand why anyone would want that. But what we are told is we receive adoption into sonship so we become children of God. We become co-heirs with Jesus Christ and therefore we receive all the things that you would expect a good father to give his children. And we know what it's like to be children of parents and we know some of us what it's like to be parents of children. And so we know that we wanna give our kids good things. Some of that is discipline. Some of that is rules. Some of that is loving rebuke. And we do receive that through being a child of God. Equally, we understand what it's like to be a child. And that means getting, having the attention of our parents, getting responses to our questions, things being done for us so that we don't have to struggle through them ourselves. Companionship. There are many things that we are promised. We are told that we will be given the Holy Spirit who will dwell inside of us when we believe that we can receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who is God himself when we believe. So we also never ever have to be alone ever again. We have continuous companionship. We have somebody who will respond to us in our time of need. We had that question in the Q&A around the Holy Spirit being a person, it's not a force or a thought or a theory. It's a person who never leaves you. And we are told that we will always be with God. In the wilderness, and you're probably wondering why I haven't talked about the reading yet, in the wilderness, Numbers 21, 4 to 8, we see that when the Israelites sinned against God, there was a repercussion. There was venomous snakes released into their living space. When the Israelites realized what they had done, they asked for forgiveness, and they said, Moses, can you pray that God will just remove the snakes? And God answered the prayer. He did not remove the snakes. He gave them a, a, a bronze snake on a pole, and anyone that looked on the snake was healed. So that meant if you were bitten by a snake, you would not die. You would be healed of the venom of the snake by looking at a snake on a pole. And it sounds crazy, but we're told that that's what happened. And that is very much the way that we should be looking at the cross. If we were told we can look at a bronze snake and be healed by looking, just by looking at a bronze snake will be healed of venom, then what makes us think just by looking at the cross that everything that we have ever done can't be forgiven and can't be paid in full each and every single time? And that's number two. We should have things that we do, works, that follow 
the belief that we have. So Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So when we say works should follow belief, we're not saying works cause you to believe or works cause you to be saved. We're not saying Jesus did pay 100% of the debt, but we still need to do all of these things in order to be saved because Jesus' debt paying wasn't enough. We're also not saying, okay, well, Jesus did stuff for me, that's great, but actually I still need to do this stuff because my standard of forgiveness is higher than what Jesus has done for me. We are saying, because we were saved, we want to do the things that Jesus wants for us. In the analogy of the firefighter, if someone risked their life to save you from a burning building, would you then want to punch that person in the face when you get out of the building? Or would you want to thank them for saving your life by trying to be whatever it is they need, or by trying to be the best person that you could possibly do, or living out gratitude for a second chance at life? I wouldn't want to punch someone in the face who just saved my life. I would want to thank them in every way that I could possibly do. And Jesus tells us we can do that by living for him. He gives us a bunch of things that please him. And if you actually want a relationship with the person that just saved your life, then you will do the things you know that they want you to do. You will want to live for them. You will want to live the way that they designed you to live you won't want to do the things that displease them because they've just saved your life. And they've done it, and they've told you that they've done it because they love you that much. So why did he save us? Why did he save us on the cross by going through all of that suffering? Because he loved us so much that he could not bear the separation that our sin was causing us. That he wanted reconciliation with his people so much that he went through everything it took on the cross to save us from our own sin, to save us from the hell punishment so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. In the meantime, because he loved us so much, we so love him too. And by loving him, we walk in what he has told us to walk in. So when we say works, we say the things that we're told to do are the things we do as a result of the love that we have for him. And the third thing is that we witness. So Matthew 28, 19 is the Great Commission. It tells us that we are to spread this good news. In short, it tells us that this is such good news, you can't keep it to yourself. Go and save others. When we talk about the Great Harvest, we talk about doing, being the workers that God needs in order to get other people to come to the same conclusion. Not because you're so right that you need other people to trust you, or you're so right that you need other people to follow you, or believe the same thing as you, or that you just want to convince people and actually feel like you've done something. It's because you love people so, so, so much, just like Christ, and you want them to receive the same blessing that you received, which is to understand the truth, that the debt has already been paid. You don't have to strive to win salvation. You don't have to strive to get yourself to heaven because you have already received your debt being paid in full, and now you get to live in freedom and in love for one another to allow other people to receive the same thing. 
And I think that if we look at the same analogy and we look at that person who was passing by and shouted out and said, hey, your house is on fire. If they didn't, you would never know. If they didn't open their mouth to say, hey, your house is on fire, you'd never know. And you'd perish. And so if we love people that much, do we want to see them perish? No. It's really hard in this life to share something that seems like people don't need it. But people feel that they don't need it because they don't understand that their house is on fire. It's really hard to share something that people judge negatively on. But if we don't, people perish. And so those are the three things that there's many, many others, but those are the three things that I took away from it. And so my challenge today to us all is are we doing things to receive salvation or because we have already received salvation? Are we living in love for one another in the hope that other people will be saved or because we want people to come to the same conclusion as we have? Are we living knowing that we actually are living with the Holy Spirit inside of us or are we doing it in an empty way that actually means nothing? We do have all these good things that we do, but as we can see, being a good person, doing a good thing is not what causes us to go to heaven. We do it because we know we're already going to heaven. And so I just want to finish there and say that if you've never come to that realization, it took me a really long time after saying I was a Christian to realize what that meant for me. And if you haven't remembered that, if you haven't realized that, or if you've forgotten that, and you've found yourself living in a way that actually has nothing to do with the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you, I would just challenge you right now to repent. Just to say, you know what? I have been living not thinking in this way, and I'm sorry. And actually, I really want to live in freedom of what you have done for me, Jesus. And so I'm just going to um, invite the worship team back up, or Seb. Um, yeah. Not the worship team, yeah. don't worry. <laughs> Guys, we're, thank you, Leanne. Thank you so much. We're going to pray. And uh, just because of time, we're going to wrap up, um, and particularly because we've got a tight turnaround. So um, why don't we just stand together now? And if you're able to, that would be good. And as Leanne has said, <coughs> excuse me, as Leanne has said, I found that uh, so helpful just to hear that clear explanation of what Jesus has done for us. Um, but maybe for some of us, we haven't been uh, that clear or we don't even know where we stand. And so just now, I just want to invite the Spirit just to continue to minister as we draw this time to an end. And so between you and the Lord, if you know where you stand this morning, if you know that you stand in right standing with the Father because of what Jesus has done, then this is a time to give thanks and praise for the gift that has been given to you. And so, Father, we do say that. We do say that. Thank you for what your Son did for us on the cross. And friends, if you're here this morning and you're not sure, you're not sure where you are, maybe you've never been that clear, maybe you just feel that it's been kind of one foot in, one foot out. Maybe you don't feel that this is for you. 
I just want to ask now that the Spirit comes and convicts and fills your heart. And we would just ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak to those who are in that position this morning? Would you meet them in love and grace and mercy and kindness? In Jesus' name we would ask. Amen.